Hello, this is the State of Talk podcast, brought to you by the International Society for Conversation Analysis. I am Elliot Hoy, an assistant professor at the Free University of Amsterdam. In this episode, I had the pleasure of talking with Sarah Goiko and Natasha Srikant about the group Ethnomethodology and Conversation Analysis for Racial Justice. Dr. Goiko is, an, is a researcher in the sociology department at UCLA, and Professor Srikant is an assistant professor of communication at the University of Colorado Boulder. Both scholars have been centrally involved in the group since its inception in the summer of 2020, following the murder of George Floyd by a police officer, Derek Chauvin. In the interview, uh, we covered the genesis of the group, its current projects and growth, uh, future plans, as well as ways that you can get involved. Uh, finally, just a production and transparency note, I am an active member of the group, and you'll hear about midway through that I switch from interviewing them and asking them questions to answering some questions about the group. Hello, Natasha and Sarah. Thank you very much for uh, for coming on to the State of Talk podcast. I'm very excited to talk to both of you about the ethnomethodology conversation analysis for racial justice group. As we are speaking today, it is mid June 2021, um, which is an auspicious date uh, because it marks uh, close to about a year since the group began. Uh, so yeah, uh, could yeah, could you tell me a little bit about how the, the group came into being? Yeah, sure. Uh, last year, the group uh, came into being after the murder of George Floyd, like, you know, that spurred many protests um, and a lot of introspection in different academic disciplines or um, different communities about, you know, about racism and particularly about anti-Black racism and ways that we can all participate in anti-racist movements, because, of course, George Floyd's murder is part of a much larger pattern. And so I guess yeah, on Twitter, uh, one of our members, MJ Hill, actually had tweeted saying, hey, like, let's all talk about this and talk about how it might apply to doing EMCA research or EMCA community. Um, and so, you know, I was a part and many of us were a part some of one of those early conversations. And then in the conversations, we kind of decided, oh, we want to meet and take on projects and think about our community and, and how to be more inclusive. And then even our research and how to uh, support more research on race and racism so we can see how as EMCA scholars, we can contribute to these broader anti-racist movements through our professional life. Um, in addition to the other things that we might participate in outside of it. Uh, and is there, um, and now just reflecting on the, the name of the group, is there a reason why it's um, for, for racial justice as a, opposed to more something more encompassing? Obviously, this is not to say I'm opposed to racial justice in itself, but um, why the uh, perhaps more specifically uh, narrow uh, characterization? Yes, yeah, so that was actually a big discussion I, at the beginning of, of starting the group, especially with doing the mission statement. And I, I was part of the group that was doing the mission statement and the vision statement. And um, we really decided that although the group does have a much more encompassing mission to really look at all the different isms and, and to be fighting oppression and working toward social justice for all, that we also wanted to be um, race forward. And we thought, especially with, you know, the, the current events that were happening at the time, that that was a really important piece of the group. Uh, I can jump in uh, for a second there, too, which is, yeah, we had a lot of discussion about whether we were going to be for social justice or for racial justice. And he 
oftentimes race tends to get ignored as one of the many different types of forms of oppression. Um, and then within the EMC community, obviously, we've had research on like gender and sexism and heterosexism and things like that, um, which is really interesting, important work, um, but also tends to sidestep uh, race or the race of the participants or how that might be an intersecting identity. So through foregrounding racial justice, um, we're foregrounding that, you know, we should really think about race when we're whatever communities we're studying, whatever kinds of interactions we're studying. And if we are looking at other sorts of isms, we can think about, okay, is that particularly, does the does race play a role here or not? So it helps us to not ignore um, the ways that race might be central to some of our research and even to some of our um, community building if we think outside of it, because race oftentimes can manifest as something invisible, and particularly whiteness can manifest as something that's more invisible and ordinary, and so we might forget about it. So we really made the choice to kind of put racial justice in the title to have that as our central thing that we, we focus on and come back to. I, I, I was thinking, um, kind of picking up on what Natasha was saying, I think in a lot of, just a lot of the kind of history of, of EMCA research, there's just been a tendency for a lot of the scholars to be white and a lot of the participants whose interactions we're listening to be to be white and then to just kind of ignore that and think that that's just the norm you know and so it's not commented on it's left kind of silenced in in the data and not talked about and so i think that was a big reason why the group was interested in coming together and being like oh we have to name this you know that that's as opposed to leaving it as the unmarked category i think one of the things that was said that i thought was um was you're still studying race if you're studying white people. Like that's still something that's happening. That's a really nice point. The the focus on on race in particular, I think, is especially well placed, as you had said, Sarah, given the the tendency in the history of the discipline to actually make efforts to background race and to put additional burdens onto onto proving its consequentiality where otherwise it's uh, assumed to be irrelevant or at least not perceptibly relevant for the for the activities of the participants. Um, and the way that you formulate that, Natasha, in, in saying that you know white is a race too, I think it will, would offer a lot to people um, in, in rethinking the ways that, that whiteness is perhaps marbled through the, the practices that we've been documenting these last 50 years. Um, but to return to um, the matter of uh, you know, how we're brought up and trained, um, could you talk a little bit, because I was looking at the website and you have something specifically about teaching and some more pedagogically oriented things. Could you say a bit about yeah, maybe the projects that you're undertaking with respect to, to, to that and also maybe the motivation for specifically focusing on teaching methods to, to newcomers? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so a lot of what our group is interested in doing is we, well, our group has a lot of junior scholars and scholars, you know, early on in their careers. And a lot of what we're looking to do is support one another and to support new um, scholars coming into the field. And I think one, one of the reasons why our EMCA field might, you know, be very white, white American, white European, is that the materials for teaching at the undergraduate and graduate level are recordings, like phone calls among white people um, from the 1950s, like some of the classic data, the classic EMCA data. Um, and we can use those calls to teach things like repair or turn taking or about different kinds of adjacency pairs. But when you're starting in a field and you're looking at it for the first time and maybe you're interested in race or you're uh, an ethnic minority yourself and you're thinking, oh, like, 
you know, does my community do this? Or like, can I, can I connect to this in this way? Like that kind of data um, doesn't really connect. And if you have, you know, a white instructor teaching with mostly white data, sometimes it might come across that to students as like, oh, like if I want to do things with race, then I should probably go to a different discipline, even though I think, and I know, because in my own work, a lot of the tools from EMCA are very useful in thinking about like racial identity, um, racism, about distinct ways of communicating in particular like ethnic or racial minority communities. And so the tools are really helpful. So we're, one of the things we're doing is um, creating an archive of uh, audio and video recorded interactions, either of like, multilingual or ethnically and racially diverse communities speaking with one another, um, or of racist interactions and discourse, and then trying to provide that archive and transcripts for instructors to then teach basics of EMCA using some more diverse data. Um, and, and then that way to kind of make the teaching inclusive and in some ways, hopefully, and then drawing and kind of drawing from inclusive pedagogy, where you draw from the expertise of your students who may be members of the communities of participants. And so being able to teach EMCA in a way that reaches more people and more diverse people. I don't know if you wanted to add, Sarah. Yeah, I think the, the points you bring up are, are so important. And I really, I see definitely one of the goals of the group is to really create an EMCA community that reflects the diversity that exists in the world. And I, th I think that a lot of us can tell that, that we're not there yet. Um, and so that really requires engaging with a younger audience and bringing people into the discipline. And, and so, you know, it's, it, you know, people aren't going to hear about EMCA when they're in grade school. It's really something that you engage with once you get to the university. Um, and so you have to kind of find ways to draw students in and to kind of connect with people's lived experiences. And if the the kind of experiences that they're seeing is a lot of older data, a lot of data that's kind of doesn't really connect with the lives that students lead or doesn't, you know, especially if you have students kind of coming in and, you, you know, students of color who are very interested in addressing the inequalities that they see in the world. And then if they don't see that reflected in any of the classes that they're taking um, on EMCA, then they're probably not going to see it as a useful tool to be able to take to do that type of work. So um, I think just really kind of reimagining the way that that EMCA could be taught and, and not assuming that the way that it's been done, because we've used a particular set of data and we've always done it in a particular way, that we have to continue to do it in that way. And I think... Um, one of the goals of, of the teaching subcommittee is to, to make it easier for people to, to have a database where they can go to and can have um, more diverse interactions that they can kind of pull from and not to always have to be doing it from scratch because that's a lot of work. You know, when you, ha when you have it all done <laughs> in these, these kind of old, um, older kind of databases where you, you know what you can use, you have the clips already accessible, they're already transcribed and all those things. Uh, but to have kind of a new database that has... Uh, uh, more recent materials, more diverse materials that then you can still use to draw on, I think is going to be a, a really uh, a strong benefit for the field to have that and for, for teachers um, and, and professors in developing their courses. That's great. Uh, the database sounds really cool. Uh, could you say a little bit more about, about, about that? Yeah, uh, it's so first, I'd like to thank Emily Hoster, because she's been doing a lot of work with the website and curating all the audio and video recorded materials and transcriptions. And of course, ISCA for providing us the platform or the space 
uh, for the archive and Saul uh, has been super invaluable and, and, and of course many people um, working with the database. Uh, and so, so far we have about five hours of data um, in this online database of recordings, which is about one and a half gigabytes. Uh, and it's accessible through our EMCA for RJ website. And if you just register through the website, then you'll be able to access it. And we're working on transcripts of this data as well, which reminds me actually, and we can talk about, um, we are doing a transcription school uh, next summer where part of what we'll do is transcribe some of the data in this database so we can have well-done transcriptions in addition to provide some mentorship for new scholars. So I didn't know if we wanted to talk a little bit about the school. I know, Elliot, you're somewhat involved. Um, or Sarah, you might have things to add on other things that I mentioned just now. Uh, yeah, so uh, we are in the process, uh, part of the teaching subcommittee. I have somehow fallen into something of a leadership role for this summer school, tentatively called um, something like Je Jefferson for Justice uh, 2022. Uh, we're aiming for something that is oriented towards relatively early uh, career researchers or graduate students specifically, people who are interested in um, getting more experience with transcription and then specifically transcribing and analyzing with uh, our racial justice and racial identity ideas in mind. And so the shape that this will have, the idea is that we'll have an hour or so of data that will be transcribed the, the workload will be divided among lots of different people. And in, in the course of transcribing, uh, in addition to, learn, to learning those skills, uh, students will also participate in workshops, for example, about transcribing uh, non-English languages uh, or even sign languages. And also we're hoping to have a workshop on person reference. Um, and so the, the analytic and sort of practical transcribing transcribing components will both be a part of it. And again, as you said, ultimately this will feed into the EMC for RJ database uh, that will be accessible to anyone who wants access to these transcripts. And um, yeah, so the, the, the work that we're doing with the summer school is really exciting. Um, I think it's also important to point out that we're also as a group, not only interested in kind of doing training with um, younger scholars, but also as a group doing collective learning together. We've been working on it in the data sessions that we hold. We've been doing monthly data sessions, and but they've taken different forms. So, so sometimes we're doing kind of people bring in their own data and, and we sit together and we, we do kind of a typical data session online. But we've also been doing learning sessions where we read text together. Um, so introductory texts on race. And we read Tacit Racism as a group, and then we discuss them, and we kind of work on collective learning and making sure that we as a group um, understand the this issue that uh, of racism and, and social injustice and kind of what we're trying to do together as a group, that we're, we're learning about it from both scholars who are studying interaction doing this research and uh, kind of scholars who are outside of, of the discipline and learning from them and bringing that into our own work. That's really cool. And it's something that something about participating in the group for me that's been incredibly rewarding is being connected now to scholars worldwide that I otherwise would never have gotten in contact with. Like Natasha, I mean, perhaps at an NCA, we would have run into one another, but I don't think I, we had become acquainted before this. And yeah, Sarah, we, I think we met at UCLA several years ago, but still, I don't, I'm not sure if projects would have, have would have emerged if, if it were not for this group. And, you know, especially for scholars outside of the West. It's, I think, this kind of group can do lots of impactful work. 
I think that that um, I just really want to second that bringing together this international coalition. I just and maybe it had something to do with the, the fact that we came together at this time when we were in a global pandemic and people were were having to do everything virtual. But it, I mean, it creates this space. We have people all the way in New Zealand who are participating, and then, you know, in the United States and in England. I mean, we it, it does cause this. How are we going to manage our time zones, which is always a struggle in every meeting. But I think it's so important to be kind of bringing together such an international community. And so I think that's a really special aspect uh, of this group. And also just, we we are a lot of young scholars and uh, to, to kind of connect with people who are like-minded and who are interested in making change and, and you know, envisioning a new future for, for EMCA. I think it's really an exciting time period to be, to be kind of part of the group and part, and part of that change. Yeah, I just thought I would add that I think I've had discussions with some other scholars as well that perhaps before this group, many of us felt like we were in between things. So speaking for myself, like I came in through this through like ethnography and I had some like linguistic anthropology background, for, you know, and then I found all these EMCA tools and a committee member of mine was familiar with it. And they were like, oh, like this will support the arguments you're already making. Oh, this is really interesting. And I really gravitated towards it. And I particularly like membership categorization analysis and and a lot of like the kinds of small discursive strategies that conversation analysts have documented can lend themselves really well to, but I've never say I'm a conversation analyst because I knew I was doing things outside of the conversation analytic traditional realm and you never know what kinds of reviewers or people you'll get. So I was always like, well, I use those tools, but then I do ethnography, but then I also pull from these other. And so I feel like with this group, it's, it's a great network and I love the people even just personally, I really like everybody in the group, but just I feel like everybody's kind of like really interested in interaction and the specifics of interaction and getting into it, but at the same time has an eye towards looking at other things like race or identity or culture or is open to bringing in new ideas and thinking about how like the future of EMCA and how it can shift and change and, and how we can take like the great work that's already been done and, and grow some of the theorizing and the kinds of work that gets done. Uh, I was curious about, since for whatever contingent reasons you two have sort of emerged as de facto, uh, I don't, I don't want to hesitate to say leaders of the group, but are at least chief co-organizers uh, currently. I am curious about uh, what sort of reactions and feedback you've seen or you, have, you yourself have received to the, to the group and to the, the work that it's doing. I can speak a little bit. So... I actually invited um, one of our group members, Francesca Williamson, who had done a data session and had really interesting work on making like racial justice in STEM and, and among women in STEM. Um, and I had invited her to do a talk in our department, the University of Colorado Boulder in the Department of Communication. And we kind of gave the talk together. We, you know, we introduced a little bit about the group and some of, you know, because not everyone in my department knows what EMCA is. So some of the roots and some of the things that we're questioning in our group. And, we, and then we presented a little bit, Francesca presented a little bit of her work. Um, and our department loved it. We got so much positive feedback, like in the moment, lots of questions and engagement um, and lots of just great feedback in terms of, you know, the kind of work that this group is doing, how much traction this group has. Like we've been meeting for a year and we have an average of 15 people that attend our monthly meetings. And those monthly meetings are just like logistic organizing, planning, checking in meetings. We have more people that are involved in like the teaching committee, the database that we talked about, planning the Jefferson School who attend our data sessions. So people are just, you know, they think the work is super fascinating. They think the directions we're going are exciting and progressive. And um, 
yeah, I don't know. So I've received positive feedback from when the one time that we've presented outside to folks who might not even be a part of the MCA, they find the work to be really interesting and the group to be a really exciting, exciting place. One of the, the, the pieces that's been so important to me is to kind of listen to the stories of individuals who, who find the group, um, who've, who've kind of found the group over the past year, and just how important the space has become for them. You know, just uh, individuals saying, I, you know, I wish I had found this earlier. I wish I had had this at, you know, earlier in, in my academic career. And kind of having a space where they feel like they can talk about the issues of race and, and, so, and social interaction. And um, so that's, I think, the part that's really kind of made me feel like, oh, we're, we're doing something that's really important that people really feel like they can connect with and engage with. And I know, Natasha, you've brought up multiple times, you know, we all do this just because we're volunteering. <laughs> we, this isn't, you know, something that we're specifically doing for our universities at all. It's just, um, you know, a group that we all in because because we love it and we want to be doing it. And and so the, the commitment that everyone's showing is really incredible. That's great that so many people have found the group over the course of the year. Is there... Uh in looking forward uh, and building on the things that you've already done, is there ways that people could get involved um, in any current or planned uh, projects or groups in the future? One um, way I think that people could definitely be involved is we're, we've been piloting these uh, new types of data sessions, which are called current events data sessions. And basically anyone who just happens to hear something about Twitter or read something in the news that's ongoing and they kind of find an interaction that they want to analyze um, so for example, there was a, a JAMA podcast that came out, um, in which they were talking about structural racism. Um, and so we, you know, myself and, and, um, and MJ, we got together and we, we did a little transcript and we brought it into the group and then we, we did a data session with that. And that's been really exciting because it's a way we could even kind of picture, not just doing training or data sessions within the group, but then having something to say and, and kind of responses to current events that are going on. So kind of these reactive uh, data sessions, and then we could maybe write something up, do blogs uh, about the analysis that we're doing. Um, so that's kind of what we're imagining for that. And I, I think it it's something that a lot of people in the group have gotten really excited about and kind of hoping lots of people kind of come in with with uh, different current events and kind of want to to keep doing more of these current event uh, data sessions. Yeah, I, I love the current event data sessions. Um, they're just, they're fun. They're really fun. And it's, and in some ways it's nice when it's not anyone's data, so it's less stressful. And it's like, I mean, one of the main things we love in EMCA are doing data sessions. So it's like, you can tell everyone's having a good time and maybe we do a blog with it or spotlight it. Uh, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really fun. Um, and then the other thing that people could get involved in is that we are, right now we're just calling it like a publication project. And we're working on a publication where we're reviewing EMCA work that addresses race or racism published in uh, the top like 45 journals from the EMCA wiki. Uh, so we're, the goal is basically to look at journals that publish a lot of EMCA work and that might even act as perhaps gatekeepers or they're the journals that are highly ranked where people might look at for EMCA work. Um, so it's important to interrogate what's published in those journals and, you know, if there are any gaps in what's published in those journals. So this is a very all hands on deck. Uh, we have a lot of people involved in it, uh, in planning it, in doing little parts of it, lots of authors. So if you're interested in 
learning more about the kinds of EMCA race work and networking with other scholars. Like we have some really brilliant researchers and writers in the group. So it's a really great opportunity for mentorship. Um, so that's, um, so that's one of the other things we're working on. And of course it's still in process. So what it actually will come out to be, um, is up, up in the air, but something reviewing the kinds of work on race and racism that's been published in these EMCA journals and where there's room for growth and future directions to expand on EMCA uh, research and theorizing in, in relation to race and racism. And and picking up on the publications group, I it's been just a really fun experience, um, what you were saying about bringing together different members of the group. Everyone comes with their different strengths and has different experiences. And to really do it as a collaborative, I mean, I think there's like 10 or 15 of us that are in, you know, we all show up in different meetings and kind of giving advice and input about people's past experiences with this type of work. It's a really um, kind of exciting project and, and to be to, to work on something that would be a publication with lots of people's names on it. Um, it yeah, it's just like an exciting project and, and really fun to be to be working with. Every, you also get to know everyone a lot better through through um, this type of kind of active working together on a project. And I just that just makes me think like networking makes me and I'm sure many of us nervous. But in this group, because it's like you're in a data session or you're working on a publication project, like you don't have to think of weird things to say you just can do the work and it happens like the way Sarah was saying where you just get to know people through contributing on a particular task or project so I just like a side thing too that I appreciate about the group in terms of how it facilitates networking is that there's something there to focus on or talk about so you can be less nervous about having to introduce yourself to strangers or having something to say or looking up everyone's publications and talking about them or something Okay, Sarah, Natasha, thank you very much again for coming on to the podcast. Uh, if people want to know more about the group, those notes will be in the show notes. Uh, and yeah, thank you again. If you have ideas or want to participate in the ISCA newsletter or our podcasts and other projects, please go to conversationanalysis.org and reach out to us. We'd love your input in what we're building, which we hope is a truly international connection amongst our EM and CA communities. Our theme music is Ethnomethodology by Peter Daniel off of the album Convulsive Listening.